Hello, and welcome back to Brace. On today's episode, Tommy and I sat down and talked with Jan Almasy, entrepreneur, podcaster, absolute unit, and one of my oldest friends. We talk about his upbringing, career path, and some of his advice for budding entrepreneurs or people that want to get out there and start their own business. We hope you enjoy. So just nice. to let you know how we've done our guests so far, have you listened to any of the episodes? One. one. Okay, yes. nice. Which one? I can't remember off the top okay. of my head. It's okay. Uh, starting this year in 2023, we've started to bring guests on, and the format that occurred to us first was basically bringing people on who we admire something about them that we find to be virtuous. And for you, just I haven't like identified it down to a single virtue, but I've always definitely looked up to you as someone that is willing to strike out on their own path mm. and be different. And just I cling to the idea that you found a lot of meaning yeah. and want to communicate that to your audience well. Uh, and the yeah. the purpose behind Brace that we've managed to kind of reestablish here starting in the fall is providing the tools to our generation and the generation coming up here to live a more meaningful life mm. because we find that to just mm. be something that's well missing in the marketplace, right? right? It's like there's all the self-help right. in the world, but is there the true path to a meaningful life? Right. Your story is just so fascinating, right? Correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but your parents are immigrants. Is that right? Yeah. My mom is a direct immigrant from Slovakia and my dad's second generation U.S. So right. yeah, both sides of the family go back to what's the equivalent of like one county away from each other in Slovakia. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you're still very much in touch with the family over there. Oh yeah. I'm going to be going back over. I'll probably be living in Europe for a month and a half this summer. Oh, that's super We're fun. i try to go back. Yeah. My, um, my sister and my brother are going over. They're leaving in March and they're going to come back in August. Um, we're like dual EU citizens. So, Oh, nice. Well, my sister is technically me and my brother have to reactivate ours. (laughs) Um, but by the time I come back from Europe this summer, I'll have an EU passport. Wow. That's super cool. There's like something like you can't be an American dual citizen, but you can like if the other place is okay with it and and you're just the American first. (laughs) Yep, exactly. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, and my mom, like, I think she was not a naturalized citizen before I was born. Oh, wow. So I think that that's kind of how it works. Because she didn't really become a citizen, I think, until like 2000, 2001. After you maybe. were born, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that either. Mm-hmm. That's, that's amazing. My sister is doing a study abroad in Florence this summer. I love Florence, dude. That is like one of my favorite Italian cities. <sighs> Never been there. Yeah, sad about it. I think we're going to go and try and visit. Just because, Do it. why not? 100%. I mean, she's out there, Firenze. So. It's beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. Great food and cool markets. Yeah, I mean, Super can, cheap leather. You can say great food about all of Italy, literally. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Wine that won't give you a headache. Literally oh, so all wonderful. across the country. Yeah. Bread that doesn't leave you bloated. True. Wonderful. True. I feel like I have a little bit of a theory on that. How their bread doesn't leave you bloated? Well, it's a, <laughs> no, it's the same thing with the gluten-free. Right, so yeah. I think yeah, glu- Monsanto's poisoning us. Is that the theory? Because <laughs> no, I think that's no, pretty not, confirmed. Not exactly. 
What I was just going to say is the the pesticides and the things that we use on top. Mm-hmm. I don't really think it's a gluten intolerance. I think it's actually a, a gene that's a BS intolerance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe. <laughs> what it is? Anyways, <laughs> great theory, Tommy. Super. Excited well, I didn't really get to theory. go all the way through it. Oh, but I'm okay. sorry. I mean, some some things we just don't need theories for. We yeah, that's like fair. know that's the point. answer. That's, that's, that's my point. only point. Um, but uh, so your history going back to like yeah, out of childhood. Yeah. Uh, that being the that we Thanks went all the way back, to, to Italy, you're welcome. <laughs> that will be my main role here, I think. I imagine uh, being the child of, an, of immigrants, you yeah. Uh, yeah. growing up felt like a little bit of an outsider and had kind of the typical teenage experience of mm. being angsty. But yours was more significant, maybe than average. I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate or not. I would. I would say. Yeah, probably a little bit more significant than average. I mean, and I didn't realize that it was that way until I got out into the world. Right. And I started like meeting more people at volume. Yeah. And being able to like reference different upbringings. And like, you know, when my network was just my family as a homeschool kid, that's all I had for reference. Right. And then you get to high school, you really only have your community to reference. Yep. But then I got into the military, dude. And I started traveling, started meeting all these people. And I'm like, damn. All right. Like I was lower middle class, baby. <laughs> like, we out here. Yeah. <laughs> making it happen. Well, and that's um, there. All three of us can uh, share the experience of growing up in Northeast Ohio. And I think that yeah. has its own very unique culture sure. as well. And For sure. It's tough being a Browns fan. That's accurate as well. I it's, mean, just, it's just a tough part of living in Northeast Ohio. I think yeah. you, you build a lot of perseverance and really the idea of hope is like a continual thing. Because, yeah, you know, because you're going to fail and fail. And, gonna, you know, for at least painful. 24 years, you're just going <laughs> to suck. I think it's been longer than that. but No, I mean, my first playoff win that I got to experience was at 25 years old or whatever yeah. it was. So yeah. that's, that's yep. pretty bad. But yeah, you went to the military before you went to college, right? Right. Yeah. So you went directly there. What was the decision-making process on going that route? Well, I guess to kind of like move our way into the military decision, right? Like we can talk about like the cap of the angstiness that led to like the, I need to join the military Yeah. or okay. I'm going to end up like dead or in prison. Maybe not prison, just jail. I wouldn't have murdered anybody. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> maybe just like an assault. And that uh, would have great, great copy out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Nice. There's a difference. But so when I was, yeah, I like going from homeschool to being high school, that was like just a shit show. Um, we went open enrollment the year that I transitioned from being homeschooled to going to the high school. So it was like, we made the front page of the Canton rep for so-called race wars and bare knuckle boxing rings um, this, wow. was and, like, this was Canton South. Yeah, that was yeah. that was a t- like I went to the local Catholic high school in the same area, St. Thomas Aquinas, and Canton South had its reputation. Man. Yeah, like, baby. And <laughs> being the homeschool kid that then went directly yeah. to Canton South, like that is a culture shock if I've ever heard of it. It was man, and it was just like I, I had to learn how to empathize with a lot of people really, really quickly in order to survive. You know, like. I never understood why there was so much conflict between cliques. But all of that aside, so, like, I had a rough time in high school. It led up to a point where I started abusing drugs. I started partying all the time. I just, like, escapism. And then I became, like, a three-sport athlete, got really cocky because I grew a foot and a half and gained a bunch (laughs) of muscle. And, like, I was just running on ego, you know, and it just was, like, not a good place to be. Um, So I was running on ego and really feeling indestructible. It, although I was portraying that externally, internally, I was just in massive amounts of pain. Did you have like a come to God moment where it was like, all right, this has to change. Otherwise, yeah. I woke up in a bathtub covered in vomit after almost ODing. Ooh. Um, and that was 
17? 17 years old. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then three weeks after that, I got pulled over on the side of 62, and I had 11 people stacked in an F-150 crew cab. <sighs> I had an open container in the car. I was intoxicated, and the cop didn't arrest me. He wow. opened up the door, and he was like, you know, I'll never forget for the rest of my life. He's like, do you know how many seatbelts are in an <laughs> F-150 crew cab? And I looked at him straight-faced, and I was like, five? <laughs> and he was like, not enough for the amount of people that are in here. And I was like, fair. That's true. He made me call my dad at 2 o'clock in the morning and come take possession of the vehicle. And everybody that was in that car, I had to, like, call their parents and tell them to come pick them up on the side of the highway, which I don't even know if you could get away with doing nowadays. No. But my dad and that cop were sitting there like, you were calling this girl's parents, and you were telling them why she is on the side of the highway right now. Yep. Because I was picking up girls for a party, you know, I was yep. 17. And you were the cool guy that had the F-150, and you were like, yeah, yeah man, I, I got you. There's yeah. a whole bed in the back. Like, right. I'm not worried about it. We're going <laughs> the highway. Who cares? Right. You just got to have your back up against the cab, and everything's, everything's good. Everything will be fine. Yeah. Um, so that happened. That was kind of, yeah, that was like the defining moment. And then so that entered military thought, right? So okay. I had always wanted to be in the military ever since I was a kid, but that was like the I either need to do this or I'm going to die. Um, like that period of my life happened. Yep. My grandfather um, was a Marine. He was also passing away at the time, which kind of played in the whole OD thing and all this other stuff. He passed, and he basically was like, before he passed away, he was like, you need to do something better. You're like, you're, you need to go to school. You're smart. We had like some of that type of conversation, so he kind of was like, I don't want you to follow the family tradition. I want you to join the Air Force. So I joined the Air National Guard as soon as I turned 18 because my parents wouldn't sign at 17 and a half. Wow. And... Uh, left for boot September 3rd, 2013. From your family, was it mostly support or was there some resistance to you making that decision? There was a, there's a good amount of resistance. Like my dad grew up in Vietnam era. Um, and then my mom grew up under Soviet occupation. So military was like not looked at super great. Yeah. Um, and then also nine 11 had happened and that was a big reason why I wanted to go. Cause I've always been somebody that's just like, just throw me into the pit yep. and like, I'll come out victorious. Like that's always been my mentality. And that was very, very prevalent in the life decisions that I was making at that time. I wanted to be combat medevac. My entire life was oriented towards being a special operations RN. And I oriented my life towards that destination for seven plus years. I went to nursing school, did the whole nine yards. Well, six, six plus years. Cause that was the term of my enlistment. And by the end of my enlistment, I had like achieved, I had a captain's offer on the table which I didn't end up taking, but we'll get to that at some point. Well, and that actually leads to the question. One of the ways that someone might have seen or heard of you if they don't follow your, your work or anything like that is your graduation speech from Walsh yeah. was something that I know that I posted on things at the time and, and sent to people as a really great embodiment of a realization that I think is getting harder and harder to have with the generations as technology becomes a bigger and bigger part of our lives. Um, and that was the, if I can steal the line, I believe it was the apex of my life is my death, right? Yep. I want to be climbing in my life and getting better and better in every step of the way. Yep. And a lot of people view a college graduation as 
who I've accomplished the hard thing. Now life's going to get easier and I get right. to come down off right. the mountain and coast. Right. So you're challenging that narrative in a, in a really powerful way. And I don't, you know, I don't mean to jump around, tell your story. We're interested in yeah, yeah. how you got to where you are now is, is why I want to go through all this. But I think that encapsulates it really well. When you say for seven years, my life was fully oriented at being a combat medevac, right? That was all right. that I wanted to do. That was my destination. Yeah. That was um, my ego's destination. Your ego's destination. Yeah. And so was it turning and kind of denying that ego that allowed you to see the path that you ultimately were supposed to take? Or was it was it just a, a shift in the no, ego? I, so I think part of it was I grew up in a family, right, where if you think what happens under Soviet occupation, the, the, the truth was completely destroyed. You didn't want to talk about the things that you did. You didn't want to talk about the ways that you were doing something better than somebody else, right? You mm -hmm. wanted to be as quiet as you could be and maintain a peaceful presence. That's how you survived. So growing up in a family where I was, I feel like constantly told, you can't brag. Humility was a big piece of this puzzle. It, it's difficult to strive for greatness if you're not allowed to be proud of yourself. Right. Sure. Or, or if you can have the belief that you're capable of great things. Correct. Correct. So this whole like chasing the apex mentality that like leans into all of these decisions. I don't I can't really trace it back to like a singularity. Right. Like there's not like a moment where it all shifted. Mm -hmm. But because I was raised in that mindset, there were these like. I don't want to even just call them like bullet holes since we're talking military, right? There's like these bullet holes that were puncturing through this veil that I was kind of encapsulated in because of my upbringing. And then I started seeing and like, oh, well, this speech, like, okay, people are voting me to be president in a nursing club, even though I don't want the position. I'm outperforming the majority of the people in my class, even though I don't feel like I study that hard. Like people are asking me to step in and be a tutor, People were constantly, regardless of whether I wanted to be in a leadership position or not, were throwing me into them. Leadership positions were finding me. Mm. I was not finding them. Yep. So you were kind of seeing signs that leadership, mentorship, trying to help others, in a sense, right, may be what you are, the skills or talents that you were given. Right. And so where it got difficult, like the military side, is like I could see those developing in both paths. I was a the youngest staff sergeant to be promoted. I was top three at Airman Leadership School out of 150 grads. I was very successful in the military. And so, like, I always say that I didn't want to leave. I had no other option based on my intuition. And so you see that developing in both paths. Then at some point, you just start getting ripped in half, right? Yeah. And so I just reached this point where I remember sitting down in Colonel Brown's office and just sobbing. So I was like, I don't want to leave, but I also... Like, I just made this speech. It got, you know, 3 million views between YouTube and Facebook. And the podcast is growing. And I had no idea I was going to own a marketing company at the time. It was just a podcast and a right. blog. We didn't even, like, really have a website outside of one that I designed on, like, MS Paint. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, so I was like, I know this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, sir, but, like, I need to go do this thing. Because at some point, like, I could have been successful on either path. But right. you can't and I be firmly believe that. Both. You can't and I can't be successful both. in both. Yeah. Interesting. And so I, I took his advice because he's the one that told me the apex of my life is my death. And so he was like, I've created my own monster. Um, <laughs> and he was like, if you don't do this now, you're never going to have a time when you're single with no responsibilities and you have the runway 
and the enthusiasm to do this. Um, and he was like, if you want to commission at 30, he was like, you just have to call me before you're 33. <laughs> and then like, we will welcome you back to the base. And so I will never be able to repay him like giving me permission yeah. to leave because I will not abandon a team. Like I'm not that person, especially if I know that I'm doing a badass job. I like, I hate They feel it. like they need you. I hate that feeling. And he gave me that permission. And uh, it made it didn't make the transition easy by any means, but it made it a lot easier. Permission to leave, you know, despite kind of ideas of not judging one another and focusing on your own mentality of what you believe and what you think, there's still that influence of the people surrounding you. And so without that support, it's difficult to leave something that you're good at and enjoy but you just think that maybe this other thing is a lot right. better. Yeah. Do you guys go Catholic on this pod or no? Go ahead. Go religious? I'm, yes, we do. I mean, okay. I'm Catholic. He is on a faith journey that. Well, I mean, we'll speak about God in a yeah, sense, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like in a religious sense. So, yes. cause I, I think very mythical, I think very religious in a lot of senses. So that's how I, that's my most comfortable domain, psychological and religious. Totally. Interesting. Um, so I really look at talent and this is something that I, I've recently been grappling with probably over the last year as a cross that you have to bear. So most people look at like these crosses that you have to bear in, in the Christian faith as like negative things about your life, right? My dog died. I grew up without a parent. My sister committed suicide. You know, there's horrible situations that happen to people. And immediately that's what we associate crosses with. That might make up half of the, the weight of your life. Les Brown always says that we are more frightened of our light than we are of our, our shadow. So the other half of the crosses that we have to bear are your talent. And making this decision felt like I was picking up a cross that I did not want to carry at the time. Because it was full such... of uncertainty, full of unknown variables. I was making $65,000 a year as an RN on track to be promoted to be a nurse manager and a clinical instructor about to commission as a captain in the military. And I chose to dump my entire 401k into a startup and then COVID happened. Like, <laughs> but I really firmly believe that like I set my vision. I was like five years ago. This is cool that we're recording this episode now because I'm in the middle of a five year transition. Yep. Five years ago, I told myself, five years from now, I will be an entrepreneur that's successfully involved in at least three ventures, and if I'm not, I will quit. Well, congratulations and on I'm here. being <laughs> an entrepreneur that is successfully involved in three-plus ventures. Yeah. And what's been fun for me, I've been a... We've been friends for, I don't know how long, 20 years or so. Yeah, shit. Um, a very, a very long <laughs> it's time. It's been a long time, yeah. But when, you know, whenever that speech happened uh, at your graduation, I saw it, you know, when it went up on YouTube or whatever, yeah, and yeah. I was a fan of that. And then uh, we talked as you were starting the Apex and, and getting those first episodes out. And I remember, I, this is super random, but meeting at IHOP and hanging out and just oh talking. Oh, my God, yeah. That was probably like Holy cow. October of 2017 or something. That was so long ago. But regardless. Yeah, you were at Akron. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like teleporting right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's crazy to have you say this was what the plan was from five years ago. Uh, and this is what we're going to do. And then to have it be accomplished 
first of all, it's it's a scary thing to set those goals, right? Because oh if you don't yeah. succeed, you say, then I have to fall back on what else I said, right? Then I'm going to go rejoin the military. We're going to go back to this other path that we've gotten off of right. uh, in order to pursue this. But also the, the sense of accomplishment that you can have when you complete that is something unlike anything anyone who doesn't set goals can experience. Right, 100%. Uh, and it only occurs over time. That's the thing. It only occurs over grit and time. Sometimes you just got to take the, uh, I guess, courageous path, per se. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like, um, do you guys know who Alex Hormozzi is? No. He's all over Instagram right now. Okay. So he. Maybe. So he, dude with a, like, big beard, jacked as hell, always wears, like, a nose expander because <laughs> he's, like, trying to breathe better. Um, <laughs> but, no. um, okay, so he, maybe it's just because I'm locked inside of my echo chamber of entrepreneurship, right? which is what I like to call my social medias because that's what it is. Um, So Alex uh, has scaled like multiple hundred million dollar companies. Happy marriage, like him and his wife are badasses. They work together on multiple ventures. She's also an entrepreneur. And he said that him and David Goggins, if you know who David Goggins is. So him and David Goggins were having a conversation. And they basically came to this premise that like the best way to build faith and identity and like strong sense of self and confidence is not by shouting aspirations in the mirror. It's by building a stack of undeniable proof, Proof. undeniable proof, the extreme action, undeniable proof. Exactly. So I love that. And like, I've heard that in multiple contexts, like paraphrased, right? Because a lot of times ideas are just recycled Aristotle. But I think that like it really hit home when I heard it recently because I've been coming into this transition phase of like into the next five year plan. And I'm like, if I was able to do this in the previous five years, right? When I set my next like my next five year goals, I'm not talking about them, but like yep. they they're out there, you know. And I'm like, whoa! I can't even believe I'm writing this down on paper. Well, and there's I, there's things that it's appropriate to to put out there as your plan, and there's right. things that need to be so crazy that people will call you crazy if you were to say them now. I said it in my speech, man. Do things that without God they're impossible to achieve. Max Baderson. What What do you think about posting goals publicly? So even if you end up failing, it's still we strived for this thing. It, we didn't make it happen, right. but what is what are your thoughts on that on posting you know making maybe, public making the, public some of your biggest and wildest dreams i would i would my question would be who are you doing it for i think for myself then don't post it it's a good point if you're attempting to add value right to somebody's life and you're posting these goals because you your intention is to inspire then post it. Yep. If it's for you, keep it. Yeah. I find that quit. To be quit trying to quit trying to use extrinsic motivation to get what you need to get done. Yep. Find I would it, agree. Find it in you. The thing is, is that selling your soul to the algorithm for motivation is cheap discipline. It's gonna fade. It's gonna numb you. The dopamine is just gonna like. In, it's just gonna. At some point, it's gonna plateau. You might plateau four years into it. But you're gonna plateau, and when you do, you're gonna have a midlife crisis. That's gonna suck. Yeah. Now, there's a difference, I think, between announcing it publicly and being transparent with those in your inner circle. So if you're announcing it publicly on social, right, and you're doing it for you, then you're doing it for validation at the scale. It's almost a narcissistic act. Right. And there's a whole lot of interesting research about, like... Social media. I just posted about it in my newsletter, (laughs) dude. Like, sadism, 
and narcissism than the dark tetrad personality traits being escalated inside of people that are chronically uh, exposed to social, which is why I really like mitigate my social use. But without diving down that rabbit hole, if you have a, a transparent inner circle, right? Everybody want you have like family, best friends, friends, acquaintances, colleagues, you know, and then it kind of spreads out, yep. right? There's things that you shouldn't share with public, but everybody in your inner circle should be no so that they can hold you accountable. If you're trying to uh, adjust your diet, if you're trying to adjust your routine or build a new habit, if yeah. you're trying to quit a substance, if you don't form that connective tissue between your group, then it starts to feel like you're almost like living a lie to yourself, it's right? Funny. Like I, you need, humans need other humans to validate their version of reality to themselves. I have like, a great we, anecdote about that, actually. My, uh, you're familiar with the 75 hard, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tommy and I have both done those before. Um, it's a it's a great program. It's so Andy, much fun. Andy Frisilla doesn't mess around. No, he doesn't <laughs> at all. But when I was doing that the first time, I was living by myself up in Akron or whatever the living situation was, and I wasn't near my family. So I was just like, I'm going to grind this out. Like, I'm going to do my workouts every day. I'm, you know, meal prepping so that I have my food. I'm not worried about it. I'm getting my, my smoothies. I'm getting a good amount of sleep. I'm doing my reading, all those things. Right. And then I go down, and it's the middle of this, but uh, it's my birthday. I'm visiting family, and they bring out, like, a birthday pie. Nice. And, like, pie wasn't part of the diet plan that I had had. And so because Sweet I hadn't, lies. <laughs> so, so because I just hadn't informed them that, Hey, this right. is the priority of this is what I'm doing right now. And it's because I just want to have this accountability with myself that I know I can take care of business when I need to. And all of that, they weren't there to be able to support me, right. let alone check in and all of that. Yes. What you're saying there is very important. And I think there's personal goals or personal things that it might make sense to share with only one or two people. And mm -hmm. those are the two people that are either in a similar place where, hey, we're going to do this together. Let's take care of business. We're going we're gonna to become savages at right. this thing. Right. Uh, and then there's other things where you're right, where it's like, hey, I'm making this lifestyle change, right. and I really need the support here. I don't want people dragging me down. And then you can tell very quickly, oh, this person is not someone I should have in my inner circle because mm -hmm. I let them know that this is something I'm trying to do, and they're it's working against me. It's going to teach you how to me. get good at drawing boundaries fast. Yeah. Yeah, and did you talk with Paul before this? Because everything you're saying is like very similar conversations that me and Paul are having. I mean, it, it's really cool to hear from someone who's done it. Yeah, yeah. What we're looking at. And it's pretty validating slash vindicating. Good. Yeah. I'm glad that it can be that. I hope that there's like more people that listen to this that, that, because that's, that's always been the goal that I set out with. Like, like we're talking about like personal mission and setting goals and stuff for yourself. So one thing that I've worked into this five-year plan that I will talk about that's like way different than the previous one is I've really tried to have a difference between my business mission statement and my personal mission statement. Right. Right. The first time I did this five-year plan, there was no separation. And it was just like, this is a me thing. Because I didn't know where I was going to end up. <laughs> but now it's like I've got my personal brand that wants people want to come and speak and do other stuff like that. And then there's the companies that I want to build. And they, they have their own brands. They're their own thing. So I have to draw this separation now. And so my personal mission statement, which was given through an exercise that I did with a woman that does like branding exercises for Microsoft. Her name's Catlin um, O'Shaughnessy Coffrin. What a name. Badass. And she did this exercise where she had me text a bunch of people and say, if that like you woke up in the morning, you had this issue and I was the only person that could solve it. What would the problem be? 
<laughs> That's such Interesting. a fun exercise. Yeah. yeah. And a bunch of people messaged me back and they're like, it doesn't matter if I'm like questioning my, if I'm having an existential crisis, a business problem or whatever else, like I know you're the person that I can come to that you're going to create the space for me to work it out. Right. And so I, I got all of this feedback from like 40 different people and I just took all of these inputs and I was like, okay, apparently like I'm inspirational to people. The way that I live my life is something awesome and all this other stuff. So the, this mission statement ended up forming that, that was, I'm going to be a light in the abyss, whether that's an intellectual, a physical or a spiritual abyss. That is like now my guidepost mm. and everything orients around God and that guidepost. And if those, everything fits into that, it makes it easy to just become a metronome and you just start ticking away. Once you set that tone for yourself, it's, you can move. Yeah. The way I kind of look at the future in a sense, or I guess goals, personal mission statement, I kind of imagine myself in the middle of a sphere. Okay. And, you know, there's an infinite number of points on the outside of that sphere. Right. Right. But there's only one reason for you to be here on this planet. Right. If we're thinking right. kind of from God's perspective, there's only one X, Y, Z vector that points in the right direction. Right. And so if you cut out time. Right. So to me, that point at the end is kind of on the outside of the sphere. The point on the outside of the sphere is your end of time here on Earth. Right. If you cut out time as a variable, the best place for you to ever be at that point is pointed in the right direction. Mm. Right? So, you know, to me, the sphere is actually shrinking in as time continues. And if you're in the wrong course, it just takes more energy to then turn you back into the right direction. Oh, yeah. I've always said that if you if like you get presented with a left-right option and you consistently choose left and the universe wanted you to choose right, you either choose right of your own volition at some point in the relative near future or you will be autocorrected. And it is going to suck. So it's like, do you do it? Do you embrace the shit on your terms or do you wait until the universe drops it to you on a plate and then you have to you have to deal with it at that point? That reminds me, this is a way back aside, but going back to one thing you said earlier that was so big for me was uh, just the Christian view of picking up your cross and carrying it and how um, ability or talent is a cross that you bear. Uh, I think (sighs) that the triumphant of time, talent, and treasure being the things that we're supposed to give uh, from a a Christian perspective, uh, being just aware that your talent is the way that you can make the most difference. And so if you are not cultivating your best talents and you are not finding ways to use those talents to serve others, you are literally wasting the only life you have here. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That, that was like the way that you framed it though, that talent is a cross. Uh, I've never heard it like that. And that was big. So that's a takeaway that I have here from from this conversation. Thanks, (laughs) man. That Uh, was that literally I've been, it's been messing with me ever since I I had that thought. And sometimes I'll like, I have journal upon journal upon journal full of random crap. And like, (laughs) I'll just, sometimes I'm like, where did that even come from? And why did you give that to me? And what am I supposed to do with it? I'll draw shapes. You know what I mean? And like different connections and like charts 
of stuff. And I'm I like, think, I think you both are very uh, visual, like, uh, learners. Yes. Or, like, I'm uh, a visual thinker. Yeah. So. I actually, there's this woman named Temple Grandin who is um, autistic, but is, like, one of the smartest women to enter working with animals mm. to try to figure out, like, compassionate ways to walk animals through mass production facilities. You know what wow, I mean? Wow, what a so, hard challenge. My right. goodness. So she really like works with like even like muting sound panels and stuff in barns to make sure you're not frightening the animals and all this other kind of stuff. But she like gave this speech and she talked about how the school system isn't set up for visual thinkers. Yeah, true. And how it's set up for for math and like people that think in words. I don't think in words. I think in pictures and I have to describe the pictures. Same, right? Exactly. That's so why like, he just went on the thing about the circle and the sphere. It's like that's for for exactly someone, a lot of people. That's a hard thing to follow, right? Yeah. Like if you see, not, but I understood exactly 100% where you're going. You did. Yeah, yeah. Hundred because because I'm a visual thinker. But right. then I started to realize I started to research in it. We're the minority. Visual thinkers are massively the minority when it comes to the really? way that they process information. Yeah, one hundred percent. What I ended up realizing is like as a visual thinker, you can put puzzle pieces together. You can see things in more depth than most people can picture an end result i think is what makes me a dangerous entrepreneur because i can picture it's almost like you can jump to down Z i can and picture down to, to the pen that's on the desk of the office that i want to build in a decade well you right you, yes <laughs> and, and that's such a powerful visualization to put out there that like the longer you think about it, the details just start revealing themselves in the in the picture. I don't know how we got here. Getting back to the like, story. Getting back to the story of cross. you being here. Yes, yeah. I mean we're we're all over the place, but it's <laughs> wonderful. That's what I anticipated here. Um, getting back to entrepreneurship, though, yeah. you're saying you're at a place now where you've basically accomplished your five year goals, and you're now looking at the next five years. Right. But going back to the okay, I'm I'm leaving the military. I'm going to pursue podcasting is what I thought it yeah, was at the time. Was, yeah. When did you decide, okay, this is actually going to be not just a podcast, but a business. And I'm going to pursue whatever comes my way that is accomplishing the mission that I have. Like, first of all, yeah. do you remember what that first mission was that kind of started things for the apex? And then yeah. how did it adjust over time? I think is one of the more fascinating things for me, just as we're kind of building yeah, a brand new evolve, what we're doing. Yeah. It, it's a natural part of the process. You're not going to get things right when you sit down and, and talk it out the first time. Right. But as you go, you uncover, you know, what the the goals are and what you're doing this for. If we could, actually, I, I'd like to hear how the Apex podcast came about. I know that that was, that was a mainly yeah. from the speech. Yep. But I think that is kind of the start, right, before you end up quitting and starting a business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it is. So I'd like to hear about that because that's kind of where we're at in a sense. Or I guess... JJD Thoughts. JJD Thoughts. Dude, I just saw that logo again for the first time <laughs> in like a year and a half. And I was like, dude, I designed that, that, that shows you I'm Pixlr. an OG. I remember it's yeah, JJD. I designed it on Pixlr back in 2017, 2018. Amazing. So yeah, JJD was a byproduct of my OD and like um, making it through nursing school. I was a junior in nursing school at the time blog started it was uh two buddies we talked about mental physical and spiritual well-being it's been pillars of my life ever since then um that's actually one thing that pointed me in the whole like mission statement the personal brand thing is i i re-remembered that and i'm like oh i've had these three pillars on my mind for five years blog led into the speech people were reading the blog i ended up running into my friend jake i met him through acapella and he was in a band 
and he had microphones and everything. So I, he was like, dude, like, I really like your blogs. Why don't we just start a podcast? It's something to do now. People are talking about it. And I mean, we were just kids, right? We didn't, I really had any intention behind it. It was just, this sounds like a dope thing to do. So I actually, I was willing to solicit guests from anywhere. Our first guest was a home care patient that I met on a clinical rotation um, named Dean Kaler. I remember Dean. I remember that interview with Dean. Yeah, and he's he's cleared me to say his name publicly in all sorts of situations. So, like, if you're going to try to sue me after you hear this, like, get off Don't. my butt. Yeah, yeah. it's he, <laughs> he's okay with it. And uh, he was uh, shot through the spine at Kent State um, and paralyzed and then became, like, a Paralympic uh, athlete and, like, a marathon competitor in wheelchairs and a trustee and a substitute teacher and just lived this amazing life. And we really started talking to him about meaning. So my exploration of meaning really started early on in my career. And then people started listening to the podcast. Next thing we knew, we were getting thousands of listeners and people started asking us like, well, how do we build podcasts? So that was really our first attempt at a business model, right? So our first business model was actually a physical studio like this um, and just renting it out. That would have not probably worked five years ago. We pitched that at a pitching competition and actually one of the people that's still my mentor to this day, John Kuntz, he's like a VP or he was a VP at IBM of sales and he like specializes in entrepreneurship and design thinking psychology. He ripped that pitch to shreds, <laughs> like just shit on it. It was like, it's too much overhead. Like this is a horrible idea. Why would you not just teach people how to do it? How to do it. Basically consulting. Basically consulting. So he introduced me to consulting at that time and it infected my brain. And I was like, wait, like you can learn something so in-depthly that people will pay you for it because you're a nerd? Dope. <laughs> um, and it, that's, I've been obsessed with design thinking psychology ever since. So it was perfect because I had a minor in personality psych and organizational psych through Walsh. And then I was a nurse and we had to take like psychology across the lifespan and geriatric psychology and like psychotherapy and all these other types of exposure courses that we had to see like what counselors did and all this other stuff. I got to work at Heartland Mental Health for 16 weeks. Wow. So I saw a whole bunch of mental stuff and like psychological stuff. So I was very rooted in that. And then it just kind of kept expanding. So we were teaching people how to do podcasts. And the next thing we knew, they were like, well, how do we build a website to put our podcast on? And I was like, I can YouTube that. Um, <laughs> and so I just started YouTubing how to build Wix and Squarespace sites. And then I was building those. And Jake was out recruiting podcast guests. And then we were like landing local country artists like Mark Leach and then I interviewed a prior Mr. Ohio bodybuilder named RJ and RJ Holiday, my co-founder. <laughs> um, he just kind of weaseled his way in and was just stuck <laughs> around. <laughs> um, but he he legit runs he runs Apex. I mean, he's he is payroll. He does accounts receivable. He does accounts payable. He does all of our HR stuff. He sent. I mean, he just if I didn't have him, I would be I would be nothing. Yep. Same thing with all of my employees. Honestly, <laughs> I, mean, I just I, I, there's no way we'd be able to do what we're doing right now if we didn't well, have them. But basically, the the path then went podcast consulting people how to run a podcast. Yep. Consulting people how to run a podcast and do marketing for a podcast. Yeah, it was like website building, else. and then it was like, well, how do we get people to come to the website? And yeah. So we learned search engine optimization. They're like, well, what if we want to pay for it? And we're like Google ads, Facebook ads, Snapchat ads, TikTok ads, and. Then I discovered Gary V, and it all went downhill. Yeah, <laughs> as it does when people discover yeah. Gary V. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That uh, that's incredible, though. Just the the path from I have a podcast to 
how can I monetize this? How can I be of value to people to right. the point where I can have an income from yes. this knowledge and this yes. effort that I've put forward? And then follow the path of just, okay, need in the market, need in the market, need in the market. Yep. And now you find yourself with a, if you don't mind me asking, how many employees you have right now? Is it five? Four. And then I would say probably a group of seven to 10 contractors at any given time. Yeah. You have a, a business that is in no way just yours anymore. It is it is a, a group effort in a big way. Growing by fifteen percent in a recession. I mean, like not too shabby. I'm not bitching. You know? <laughs> like, I'm I'm grateful as hell that we. I was just talking to RJ about that the other day. We had the best January that we've had till date. Knock on wood. And like, I just keep telling him, like, we just got to keep doing what we're doing. We're gonna keep acting in integrity. Keep like being a stable business for people through whatever's going on. Meaning crisis. Yep. And I was like, and if we can keep being that northern, then we'll be good. But so we're blessed. Yeah, we're definitely really blessed. We're not closing here or anything. No. But one of the big questions that I wanted to, <laughs> to ask Tommy was. I was like, what? No, <laughs> we no, have no. so much more to talk about. <laughs> so much more. No, but one of the big questions that I want to make sure I give you the opportunity to expand on as much as you want is if there's a 21-year-old right now that is has an idea or has a uh, thing that they think um, they can provide for people and, and they mm. want to pursue it, but they don't have any idea where to start. What is the the big couple of things that you might be able to tell them where you say, this is where you should go. This is what you should pursue. This is this is the, the path. Ooh, I'm going to take a second. Yeah, on that do one. it. So I would say that like bottom tier like the most important like connective tissue that you can establish if you're 21 right now you are going to want to focus on less on achievement and more on character building it's tempting to focus on achievement the plaques are nice the positions are nice nobody gives a shit that you're president of a nursing club 5 years after you're out of college i promise <laughs> From experience. From experience. Nobody cares. It's not on my resume anymore. I don't even reference college stuff on my resume. So it's not about the accomplishments. But if you take that position with the intention of building character, I'm going to take this position because I want to make change. I want to do the hard things. I want to make decisions. I want to do it to the best of my ability. Do that. Other sides of character building, focus more on personal development than you do on professional. Personal development is going to be your engine for the rest of your life. If you can turn the majority of things that people struggle with on a daily basis into autopilot parts of your personality. It's a superpower. It's a superpower. And and like I going to humble brag, but like people look at me and I get this all the time. Like, how do you get so much shit done? Right? How do you stick to a cold plunge three days a week for six months? How do you do a 75-day hard? How do you do an Exodus 90? How do you manage multiple businesses at the same time? And I really struggle answering those questions until I realize that the reason why I struggle answering those questions is because so much of it is my unconscious at this point. I don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Of course I'm going to work out today, right? <laughs> like, of course I'm going to go in church to church on Sundays and disconnect from my phone for multiple hours. Of course I'm going to spend time in the woods. Of course I'm going to spend time meditating. There's all of these things where I'm like, I don't even have to think about it. Right. You know, and then I talk to people and they're like, oh, I really struggle to find the time to integrate that into my life. 
And I just realized that from a very young age, I had the blessing of like, that's when you craft what your life looks like. I always had this mentality. Why wait to become the man I want to become in the future when I can become him today? And so I just was like, I've built the man that I am today. Well, and the, your focus on, okay, develop yourself personally, that's going to lead to the success and everything else. That sounds like, okay, but I'm not actually going towards the, the goal that I have if I want to build this business and be an entrepreneur. Right. But that's a prerequisite. You can't right. take the higher class if you haven't established the habits, the things you have to do every day, every week, every month that allow you to get where you actually want to go. Can I get really abstract for like a split second? Go I'd for love it. it. Okay. So back to the whole like leadership position. You don't find leadership positions. Leadership positions find you, right? So if you think of an idea as like a latch and it's attached to a pulley system that you can't control the speed of. But once that idea finds you and you choose to latch onto it, it is going to drag you in that direction. Right. And we make those decisions every day. So it's either going to drag you on the path to hell or it's going to drag you towards a path of what you believe to be more peace and abundance. So if you don't do the necessary character development before you latch onto that idea. It's how you end up with viral celebrities that want to kill themselves. That idea will not let go. And if you don't have the identity, the strength of moral character and the integrity built before you get famous, it gets really hard to manage reality. Well, especially with having, you know, if you don't have an inner circle that you trust that you've gone through the process of building with, then all of a sudden you have all these snakes around you too. It's like, how can you possibly get You can't navigate, right? And so I've always been that a person where I've been like, you know, I have I like to think radical patience. I see the end destination and I am willing to take my entire life to get there. And it's a beautiful process. But you can set stuff out so far that you're like, Oh, I know I'll get there eventually. You know, if I get taken out before then, then it's not, you know, I just wasn't meant to be there. But I'm going to enjoy, like, the majority of that journey on that on that destination. So back to that whole, like, latch thing, right? So what that personal development does is a concept that I really like to refer to as seizing opportunity, not seeking opportunity. If you can build an engine that at any given moment, I, I've been saying lately, like, my only goal in life is to be an absolute unit of a human being, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, if at any given moment you could, like recite prayers in multiple languages, whoop somebody's ass or like be a gentle space for somebody to feel safe. Yep. You got it. And then any opportunity that comes your way, will just start to manifest itself to you because those types of opportunities seek those types of people. How important is mentorship? Crucial. A good mentor. And the difference, I'm going to quantify this here. Difference between a good mentor and a bad mentor. A bad mentor will groom Uh you. Yeah. A good mentor will give you objective advice that's good for you. So a bad mentor might be like, oh, you should come get a job at my company because I know that you're going to be successful here. A good mentor would be like, I would love to have you here, but you would be successful here. It's not always that. You know, I'm not saying that good mentors can't hire employees. Of course. But that's just a, a situation that's kind of easy to understand. If you don't have a mentor in your life that's willing to be completely objective with you, you're never going to grow. And so, like, I've always liked to have balanced mentors, right? I've always had those three pillars in my life. So, like, RJ is my gym mentor. Yep. Um, and then I also have, like, Marquise for boxing, and I have all these other 
people in my life that mentor me physically. I have people in my life that I can talk to psychologically, spiritually. And then I have people that I talk to. I've met with the same sales mentor biweekly for five years. Wow. And we meet every Friday to the point where like I've gone on three mile runs with this man specifically to meet with him because I'm not willing to sacrifice that time. Like he gave me my latest rucksack. Like that's the, the quality or the depth of relationship that we've built at this point because we're both just relentless. Like he runs ultra marathons and stuff and he's come on the pod multiple times. And so like shout out to Justin Woods. He's been in my corner nice. ever since five, six years ago. I think that's something that's undervalued. Uh, and I, I think when you, when you say like focus on personal development, that can seem abstract, but really what you're choosing to do is either finding mentors that are active <coughs> in the world today right. that are, that are doing things. Or if you're referring back to, you know, the Stoics or whatever it is, you're finding old mentors. You are finding people whose writings. Oh, books definitely count as mentors. Right. And, yeah. And I don't, I would not be here without social Nitsen. There's no way. <laughs> Why is that? Just, um, his the ability, Gulag Archipelago or which what the Gulag Archipelago and then um, the story the brothers Karamazov are both really big ones I discovered those because of Peterson and that's a whole rabbit hole of its own but I mean just philosophers around that era right Victor In, Frankel yeah Victor Frankel Man's Search for Meaning is fantastic um, just because I read those, like the context that I read those books in, the context that I engage with those mentors, first what I'll say about books is it, what a beautiful ability to distill down 40 years of somebody's life and knowledge into less than 200 pages. Not all books are like that, but that's the, you know, the mentality. Part of the reason that we have this podcast where we review books for people is so that we can distill that 200 pages yep. into 40 minutes that then yep. they can take and then say, actually, that's something I need more of. I'm going to go read that book. Right. And so all of those books... Social Nitsen and Frankel actually specifically are really great examples of the depth of human experience. And when you orient yourself towards, rather than accomplishments and success, you orient yourself towards, I want to craft a life for myself that I feel the most present, the most often, your life switches. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for the rest of the conversation with Jan. We ask you to follow us on Instagram at brace.22. Paul's Twitter is at Paul from Brace. And be sure to email us at brace22 at protonmail.com. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you are listening and send to a friend if you found value in this discussion. Thanks. We appreciate it.